Brothers and sisters, welcome back to another episode for the book, I Need Answers. We are here for another episode, but this episode is going to be a bit different than what you're used to. If you recall, the last episode was controversial when we talked about the topic of I was born this way. Well, if that if last topic was controversial, this one will be emotional. You know what chapter it is. The struggle is real. But before we get into the content, I ask you to gather your thoughts and your minds as we pray, standing before our Father in heaven. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Holy, holy, holy is your name, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for bringing us together. We ask you that you give us the courage and the strength to move along our spiritual life. We ask you to teach us something that you have prepared for us today. And I ask you, God, to give me the ability to speak. Use me as a vessel and accept the services that I offer up onto you. Through the intercession of the most holy Theotokos and all of the saints, for blessed are you unto ages and ages. Amen. If you read the book especially this chapter, you realize that this is the one chapter that I really didn't want to include in the book. There's another chapter, but I'll I'll get to it when I get to it. And like for two reasons, I didn't want to include it. Number one, I like, I'm not a professional. Like if you are struggling with mental illness or you happen to know someone Please do not think of this podcast as a substitute for a professional consult. Please see a medical professional as soon as you can. So I don't want to act like, you know, I'm here representing like a medical professional because I'm not one. But the other thing is, this is a topic that makes like all of us uncomfortable. Even after I wrote this book, uh, the Christian group that I'm a part of, YOTC, Young Orthodox Sahado Christians, were getting ready to host uh, a church service. And we we're having a meeting trying to figure out like what the theme should be for this service. And several members suggested doing one on mental health. And I was adamantly against it. Why? Because even now, like after writing this book and after talking to this people, I still feel uncomfortable to talk about these topics because in order to have an honest discussion, you have to be vulnerable and you have to uh, get to a place where you really don't feel comfortable sharing with other folks. But I decided to move along with this topic anyway, especially when it comes to the book, because if there is one person out there who is going through something, If there is someone who is going through depression or anxiety and they don't know what to do, I hope and I pray that they can hear my story and know that they are not alone. If they feel like they can't take the stress and all the pressure that life brings on to them, know that you are not alone and that things will get better. 
And with that being said, here is my story. If you met me in the past 10 years or so, you would never guess how insecure I am. Especially if you've seen me in public events and all that stuff. I'm the guy like walking around, you know, shaking hands and making jokes and, you know, acting crazy, acting a fool. But honestly, behind all that is a very insecure young person. In fact, only my closest friends know this about me, but believe it or not, my biggest phobia, like the thing that I'm scared of the most is speaking in public. I know, like people don't believe me when I say that, but it's the biggest phobia I have. Like my heart beats, my palms sweat, my legs tremble, like my like I lose words and all this stuff and each time I get on the podium, I always think, what if I mess up? Like, what if people make fun of me? What if this and what if that? And and I like I get into this cycle that I can't get out of. Now, admittedly, this fear, especially when it comes to preaching, has significantly reduced. But even like if you look at the the sermons I used to give like 10 years ago when I first started out, you could tell like I'm very not comfortable being in front of people. Like this group environment really scares me. Like it says, especially speaking in front of public events. Now, I believe this phobia stems from my childhood. See, when I was a child, I was severely bullied. For starters, I had a leg problem. And you can kind of see it now, like every time, every time I tell people, you know, I have a leg problem and then they're like, really? I never noticed. I was like, really? Like I limp when I walk and they're like, oh, that's what it is. <laughs> and I'm like, so you did know. And people think it's like some type of attitude or whatever, but like, no, it's, I'm not trying to be somebody else or I'm not trying to walk cool or anything like that. It's, it's, it's a limp and it especially comes out when I run. And I have like this awkward lip when I run. And in order to rectify this issue, I had two surgeries. But nonetheless, it has limited me from doing certain activities. Now, I'm blessed nonetheless, but this is uh, something that I had to deal with. Especially when I was a kid, like nobody wanted to play with me, especially at recess. And when we were talking about sports being competitive, I would often not be chosen at all. Or I would be the, like the last person to, to be picked. It was like, you know, the, the scene from the movie, you take him, no, you take him. Like those things actually happened to me. And I hit a point where I was so like sick of it. During recess, I would spend most of my time in the cafeteria talking to the custodians. Now, when you couple the fact that I wasn't playing sports because of the leg and I didn't want to be made fun of, I started gaining weight. Like I was really, really, really big. To give you guys an idea of how big I got, in seventh grade, I was like, I think like what, five two, five three as far as my height. Um and I weighed 165 pounds, close to 170. So like I was I was a big kid. So all this kind of merged to the perfect storm of kids really, really, really making fun of me. And I share this story in the book. And I remember like it was yesterday. Um, 
like one of the events that occurred was a, a, a young kid, um, like one of those popular kids saw that I was having a bad day. He came and like he patted me in the back and said, hey, man, you know, like we'll get better or good job or something to that effect. And I didn't know this, but he labeled like he wrote kick me sign on the back and he was like putting that on the on my back and oh, sure enough you know kids made fun of me because of that when i was sitting in a bus someone took a lighter and lit my hoodie on fire one time a couple of young kids thought it was funny to get a water gun pee inside the water gun and shoot it at me these are things that i had to endure as a young kid it still hurts to talk about because those that period of your lifetime is like gone and most of my memory is is really like negative things especially when it came to the school and eventually i just couldn't handle it anymore i started flirting with the idea of suicide like why even stay in this world if this is how bad it is i hated going to school but luckily for me, my parents decided to move to another part of town. And that really, really changed a lot of things. For, for starters, uh, the school I went to prior to that was largely like white America. So I was like, on, like the only black person in the classroom. And the kids would do these like absurd things. But once I moved, I moved to an area where there was a lot more Abisha people, a lot more... People who look like me and I could relate and I could talk to them and things started getting better for me. But nonetheless, even though I was away from that bullying period, I, I wanted to relate to my parents. I wanted to let them know, hey, like I was really bullied as a kid. Like this is not something simple. So one day I decided to let them know and I wrote an email and I told them just how bad the bullying days were. But more importantly, I told him, hey, you know, it got so bad that one day I even was thinking about suicide. Now, even though my parents are loving parents, they just couldn't understand how I could ever think about something like this. And this is the lesson, especially when it comes to the older generation. I don't think they understand how widespread depression is neither do they know how to deal with it most of the time parents say you know bullying is something that everybody endures is what kids go through that's okay and they ignore the feelings that children are bringing up to their parents and this is wrong simply telling someone who's getting bullied hey don't worry about what they say words can't hurt you Ignore it. It's just not a good remedy. It's not working. Because a depressed child is a depressed child. And their feelings need to be acknowledged. And I was telling this to a parent the other day. If your child feels like they're really getting bullied. And they're coming up to you and saying. Hey I'm not doing good at school. Get them professional help. At periods like this. It's better to over act than underact. It's better that the kids say, oh, you're just doing too much, whatever. It's better to do that 
And instead of underacting and not doing enough, and then God forbid, but something horrible happens and the parent blames themselves. If you're listening to this and you know in your head you're getting a lot of negative ideas and negative thoughts, please reach out to someone. Please talk to someone. Don't sit on this idea for a long time. Don't feel like you have to go through this by yourself because you don't. Like, as far as me, the biggest thing that that helped me throughout this process was my deep connection and relationship with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I remember feeling alone. I remember feeling like no one loved me, but I knew that I had a God in heaven, a father in heaven, a king who had a kingdom for me, who loved me very much. And it was these teachings, it was these principles that got me through the hard times. I knew that that period would end. It wasn't easy. And it wasn't until I had a deeper, profound relationship with God that I was able to understand these things. So if you're listening, please understand this, my brother. Please understand this, my sister. Your life has value. You matter. You're the daughter of a king. You're the son of a king. You're a prince. You're a princess. Your life matters. So if you're going through hardship and you're beginning to think about things that you shouldn't be thinking about, please seek help. Talk to someone. Talk to someone. Because as we know, we are seeing time and time and time again, young people taking their own lives because they weren't able to get the help that they needed. I am sure those of you who are listening right now can relate with this. You know someone, you've heard of a story of someone who wasn't able to get the help they needed and unfortunately they had to go to extreme measures. I am here to beg you, please seek help. Talk to someone. Talk to someone. And hold on. Have faith. Have hope. Because if God is on your side, there is nothing that you can't get through. And that's exactly what I did. I held on to my faith. And especially after I graduated college, I started getting involved within the church. And I felt like Jesus had saved my life. I was a no one. I was a nobody. Nobody wanted to talk to me. But yet Jesus accepted me. So I was ready to submit my life to him. Eventually came up to the point where I felt like the only way I can have true happiness is if I served him all the time. Like I didn't want to do anything else but serve God. So I decided to leave my life here in America and head over to Debre Libanos, a monastery in Ethiopia. Now, please understand, 
I wasn't some emotional kid that decided like, okay, that's it. I'm going to leave or something like that. This was a decision that took over two years to come up with. I really planned this thing out in detail. And before going, I really tried to live what people would refer to as a normal life, whatever that means. So I graduated from college. It was distinction in mechanical engineering. I was working at the USPTO, United States Patent and Trademark Office, where my job was to examine patents for a living. I was making a good amount of pay, and I bought a house, and I had a car, and I was doing everything that you possibly could do to live a normal life, but none of that gave me happiness. And deep down inside, I knew I had to give it up because I just wanted to serve my God. So I decided to give it up. The job, the money, the house, the car, didn't matter. Said I'll head to Ethiopian. Serve him with all I got. And a few months before I was scheduled to leave, my leg issues started to worsen. Now, at this time, like I mentioned before, I had two surgeries and had leg problems like throughout my life. Like I said, I limp, I, like, I have problems. I've spent a significant portion of my life doing physical therapy. This is something like an ongoing thing that I'm like kind of as part of my life. So having leg problems was not anything unusual, but this time it was really kind of like really painful. And now that I was getting ready to go to a remote part of the world, I just wanted to make sure everything was good. I wanted to make sure like everything was clean and ready to go because I knew I wouldn't have access to, you know, medical care. So to cut the long story short, in the process of trying to figure out what was wrong and all this stuff, I suddenly found myself before a neurologist and eventually getting an MRI scan. The results were not what I expected. They found a lesion on the left side of the brain. Those of you who may not know what a lesion is, essentially that means that part of my left side of the brain had some kind of injury. Now, at that time, I didn't know what that meant. The doctors didn't know what it meant. They couldn't provide me with any type of answers or information. I didn't know if this condition would worsen. I, would, I didn't know if this meant that it would reduce my quality of life. I didn't know if this would end my life. And I remember being angry at God. Like, why would you do this to me? I am getting ready to leave everything I have and serve you. And your response is this. Like, I'm ready to, to, to give up all my life. And this is what you're doing? I, I didn't know. I didn't know how to, like, I didn't know how to handle this. And initially, I couldn't even bring myself to tell my parents. I mean, what, what do you tell your parents? Like, something like this. But I did end up speaking to my brother and his wife about it. And eventually ended up telling my closest friends that were around me. Honestly. Honestly. At that time, if it wasn't for them, I didn't know, or I don't know, how I could have gone through it. Now, luckily for me, I later found out that this lesion was caused by what they call an in utero stroke, essentially meaning like I had a stroke while I was still in the womb of, of my mom. 
Now, oddly enough, when I found this out, it was like all the puzzles started kind of forming together, started making sense. Because as you may know, the left side of the brain controls the right side of the body. Hence, it's my right leg that gives me problems and still does to this day. But more importantly, like this also explains this kind of fear or phobia I have of speaking in public because the left side of the brain is mainly responsible for speech. Now, during the earlier part of my life, I had a problem with speech, both oral and written. I still do. Like, I still have a major problem with spelling. Like, like my closest friends know when I text them and stuff like that, I can't spell regular, like, simple words. And as far as speaking, even, like, regular words, I, I, I didn't really talk until, like, four or five. Like, I had a problem with speech. Which is why. When I take a step back and see how I'm able to give sermons, and now I even wrote a book, I know this is not my doing, but the doing of God. I felt like right before I was about to journey on to a monastery, God shedding this thing in my life and letting me know, giving me this insight was his way of telling me, don't you boast about anything. Like the words that you give are not your words, but it's because I have allowed you to become my servant. Everything that I do now has much more purpose into it. Again, I don't boast about myself. I boast about the God who enabled me to do all the things that I'm doing. And thank God for that. Thank God for that. So in a, in a very weird way, this insight or this occurrence of the lesion or whatever was the greatest thing that happened in my life because it gave me purpose even more so than before. Now I know God is working in my life. That is a testimony. Now at the time when it happened, I hit an ultimate low. And I didn't know what I was going to do. I couldn't understand why God was doing what, what, why he was doing what he was doing. But now it makes perfect sense. Now that's, that was my story. That's how my story ended up. But I'm very cognizant of the fact that in many cases, things turn out very differently. And oftentimes they may not turn so positive, positively for others. There's nothing harder to face in this world than facing death. I always say death is the unwelcomed visitor that knocks on your house. Oftentimes it takes the, the life of the, our loved ones. Or it may even threaten to take yours. It's common during these situations to be, feel isolated or to feel like you don't want to talk to anyone. But please force yourself to talk to someone. Someone you can trust. It's not good to be alone when you're dealing with these type of issues. There's a friend you could reach out to. There's parents. There's professional help you could get, but please don't be alone. There's always help. And most of all, of course, talk to God. I always say, you know, if you want to be angry at God, be angry at God, but talk to him. Talk to him. 
Do not stop your connection and your relationship with God because you're angry. Anger is the process, as part of the process of healing, especially if you've lost someone. Now, speaking of being alone, that was the next thing or the next challenge that I faced when I went to the monastery. As you can probably imagine, living in a monastery comes with many challenges. The food was not what I was accustomed to. The electricity was not dependable. And oftentimes, you know, we ran out of water. But perhaps the biggest challenge I faced was being alone. I would often spend over 18 hours a day in my room. And especially when we lost electricity, that would be the days where I would just sit down in the dark and, and do nothing. I couldn't study because I couldn't read anything. And there was nothing that I could do in a room all alone. Again, I remember feeling isolated and alone. Now, if I'm being honest, this feeling of, of being alone is not something I only felt in the monastery, but it's still something that I struggle with to this day. Many people assume just because you're a deacon or a teacher that you've life figured out or that everything is good, but that's not the case. It doesn't matter whether you're still trying to figure out your way in your spiritual journey or if you're a deacon. Things like being alone. Things like feeling lonely. Is a very common trait. And honestly, I feel lonely too often. But when I feel lonely. I try to do something. I try to keep myself busy so that my mind doesn't spin out of control. If I, if I get to this dark place, I really, I don't know how to get out of it. And it's still a struggle for me. It's not like I'm, I'm sitting here telling you I've, I've had, I have everything figured out because I don't, but I try to keep moving forward. I try to work out, maybe call a friend or watch TV, relax, whatever. But the irony, the irony of being alone is. You're not alone. <laughs> the irony of feeling alone is that there are many people who feel exactly like you. So just pick up the phone, talk to someone. You'll be surprised how others will also be able to relate with you. Like I said, this is my story. I wasn't all bad, but... <sighs> In this chapter, I chose to highlight the things that I struggle with the most because, like I said, if there is someone listening who may be able to relate with what I have described, then I felt like this chapter was a success. I remember before I wrote this chapter, I had a discussion with my parents and my parents were really worried and, and asked me, hey, do you really want to share all these like personal things with like people you don't know? And truthfully, I don't, I do not want to share my personal story with other people, but by sharing these stories, if there is even one person out there listening who can gain something from it, then it's worth it. And with that, I will leave you. The challenge for this chapter is... If you're dealing with depression or any other mental illness, please speak to someone immediately. If you know someone dealing with these issues, offer a hand and let them know that you're there to help.
Again, I hope you've learned something. And hopefully we'll see each other for the next chapter. Parents are from Mars and children are from Venus. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, only God. Amen. Thank you.